the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Power of Water, the only radio show devoted exclusively to education and news about the critical role of water in health, the environment, and global politics. Join Sharon and her guests from around the world on CBS Radio as we learn together how to survive and thrive during the current worldwide water and health crisis. And now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the sh- my show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water, Earth's Human Mission, A Healthier Climate. I think that the show has had the most exciting guests forever. Uh, we've been doing this for three and a half years. <clears throat> we need you to know, <clears throat> excuse my voice, uh, we need you to know about the life-threatening water wars. You need to understand the global water health crisis. We have been doing interviews with Nobel Prize winners, scientists, authors, surgeons, dedicated people to the life of this planet. But the concern we all have is uh, the understanding of what has happened here. We need to be more proactive to saving a life. 5,000 children die a day because of bad water. Are we going to uh, conflict over the 5,000 children losing their lives? You know, in my mind, I've been in research for 30 years. I believe there's no child that is not perfect. No child is not perfect. They're depending upon all of us for their lives. And yet 5,000 children die a day because of bad water and sanitation. So the show has a dedication to come and listen, bring your friends, your family, join us. We have had guests from all over the world join us to provide you education with their mission and listen to their tone of voice. You will know with me they're behind the fact that you must learn more about what the environment issues are. But number one, it is going to be water for everlasting. I said to a very well-known famous guest recently on the show, Professor, I said, Professor Kenrick, um, he had the Antarctica research. I said, stand back away from the earth and take a look at earth away from earth with a vision. Earth has the water. Earth has water, and I believe strongly that Earth is affecting the whole solar system. 97% is the ocean water, 3% is fresh water, 1% is water that we can use. We need to protect that water. Today, the special guest, and I've said forever since I've started this show three and a half years ago, the guests make the show. What I have learned, sometimes I'll just say, wow because I know that this planet must take care of the water, number number one, every penny we could find, every bit of energy must be found to take care of the water for all life, for eternity. There is no excuse whatsoever for what's happened, but we can do this, we can do this together. This week started between the 5th of September and to the 11th of September, World Water Week in Stockholm, Sweden. I had as a very special guest not long ago, Alistair Morrison, who is in, was stuck in Stockholm, Sweden, who is with the United Nations, traveled the world on the concern, concerns of water. And he told me about how Stockholm, Sweden had been sponsoring for over 20 years this World Water Week. Then we brought on another guest, Professor John Matthews, who's a PhD, uh, and he heads freshwater climate understanding research, and he is in uh, Stockholm, Sweden, with World Water Week. And today I've got another one. I am so excited. Today we have Flavia Lors, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but you'll hear from her. She's from Washington, D.C., in the United States of America, but she is there at World Water Week in Stockholm, Sweden. She is the Senior Program Officer of International Law uh, Focus, and, and she's, uh, her policy is freshwater programming worldwide. Uh, Flavia, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you heard probably you're our third guest. 
that is there in uh, with World Water Week. And uh, before we start, uh, tell us a little bit why you're there. Um, I'm here this week. Um, and just a small correction, I'm actually from Brazil, based in at WWFUS. Um, you're, you're from you're from where? From Brazil. You're from Brazil. Okay, and you're you're and you're uh, uh, you're representing Brazil while you're there. I'm 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 here on behalf of the World Wildlife Fund. Okay. And what I do within we're here with a, a large freshwater team coming from different parts of the world, and we're each trying to draw attention to the issues that we think matter the most in the context of water management. And my role is focusing on how water is governed at the global level. So what are the rules, what are the principles that can bring countries together to sit at the table, negotiate, and discuss how to share the benefits and how to ensure that freshwater ecosystems are protected in the long term. And this is worldwide? Worldwide, globally, yeah, in discussions yes. of global policy. And I must uh, mention to the audience that this is, uh, the, and, and now is this your first time to be in Stockholm, Sweden with World Water Week? No, I've, the first time I came was 2006, and I've, mm -hmm. been coming, I've been coming back ever since. It's a very interesting meeting. It's a very interesting place to be, to network with experts from around the world, to mobilize other partners in the several initiatives we're involved in to learn, to exchange ideas. And every year I come, we, we organize events that are focused on international water law and policy. And each year we've been getting, getting more and more attention. So it's very, inter very interesting to see how momentum has been picking up and how... Uh, you know, Flora, I, I, how do you pronounce your first name? Flavia. Flavia. Flavia, have you? I liked the way you said about the momentum. There is a momentum happening. There is momentum. Yeah, one uh, one of the aspects of the work I do at WWF relates to the ratification of a 1997 convention that was adopted under the UN, and that includes the contains the global principles and rules on the management of waters that are shared between two or more countries, and it started very slowly, but now we can see attention countries and organizations and UN agencies really starting to get mobilized around this, this idea. And there's so many, uh, you know, when I started, I've been in broader research for 30 years, and my, my research is in the dehydration of life, the human life, animal life, uh, the water loss from the moment you were born. In other words, you left that pocket of water and your mother and you entered in the air you breathe and there's a dehydration that uh, must be studied from birth not later on when you have a cold or a disease so my part of the water issue started out at the human life and the animal life uh, life science then I dove into the worldwide crisis of what is happening to our air the environment of what water influences. If there's an, a healthy water, there's a healthy life in the air. If there's not healthy water, there is not healthy air. Um, so my side uh, became another direction. But one thing I found is we you're doing something that we need to say the momentum is starting to get proactive now. Uh, did you do you agree with me? People are starting to think maybe we started need to start thinking ahead and be uh, even though we're a little behind a little bit now, uh, quite a bit now. But as once we start getting more proactive, the world will come together on World Water Days and World Earth Days and uh, days that come along where the world will stop to listen. The children will stop to listen to what is happening in our environment, our air. Is it giving us a message? But without the water, there is no life. And I think that's the issue that you're there for. Uh, tell us some of the things that you're learning that our audience can learn. Um, one, one of the interesting aspects of being here is that it seems that the water, the water crowds so the people that are gathered here have a much, a very cross-cutting vision of how things work. And one now, tell us a little bit about that. What that means? Yeah, one one very important aspect of what we've been trying to advocate for 
is how water relates to climate change and potential for conflicts between and within countries. Um, so trying to look at how climate change is going to affect countries that on a regional scale, not simply on a local scale, and how much more, so much more important it will become for countries to talk to each other and bring their populations together and deal with the, with the, with the river as a system and not as a political unit as, been, as it has been, has been done in many countries. Um, you you brought up a, a very important subject that I think this is why my show is so important. And thank you for taking time today. And and by the way, we've had Nobel Prize winners on here. We've had uh, different individuals on here, scientists, uh, all kind NASA, United Nations, you name. We've had an exciting discussion to bring to the attention to the world through our news media method here with uh, Power of Water, these subject matters. Now, you mentioned the climate. We'll start out first there. That's where I was studying about air. The climate is affecting the air we breathe. And that air we breathe must have, like many of my guests have said, fluid in the air, water, moisture, healthy water and moisture. Without that healthy water and moisture in the air, the organs of the life on Earth organism cannot live. That is a crisis. It has to be healthy. The water, the water that's in the ocean, the water in the fresh waters and the uh, groundwaters and more uh, have to be healthy because it's living water. And have you noticed that a lot of people in the world don't look at water as a living life? Have you ever noticed that? Exactly, yeah. And I think it's very easy to overlook some of the interconnections within the environment. And, you know, the, the dangers of focusing too much on one particular environmental issue and not giving due regard to the linkages. So in the context of the climate change discussions, um, the focus is still on on the mitigation, on the how to reduce carbon emissions. But in reality, for a lot of, for most of the poor countries, the developing countries, adaptation, or meaning how do you become more resilient, how do you adapt your economy, your society, your environment to the changes that, clim- that the, the variability in the climate are going to bring about, that's quite important. So w- one thing that we're trying to do, and John Matthews, my colleague, is very much involved in this, um, is to bring to the climate discussions the very strong linkages that those, and we can see the situation in Pakistan, what this, what floods more frequent, what droughts becoming more widespread, what this is going to do to the water crisis. And when you look at these issues in a transboundary context between countries, it just, it gets even so much more complicated. So having this overall view, this big picture view of, of environmental issues is very important. Then you mentioned that is true. Uh, that is uh, that is so important for our listeners to be educated about uh, what can we do as an audience, the world together, uh, bring the children together and the world and study what this what the proactiveness and the education must be for all generations forever uh, to come. Uh, the other one is the conflicts. People don't realize, Flavia, that. Conflicts have been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands maybe, that the issues of water so far back became an issue and a problem and wars were began. People didn't realize that a lot of these wars that are going on in different uh, places of our world started so long ago because of the issue of water and politics. Can you discuss something about what you're learning? You just mentioned uh, that different countries have to realize that when their river is influencing their country, but maybe another country, uh, that there are issues of the of what's happening in the climate change. Uh, example: This year, Japan had again 130 degrees temperature, but it lasted longer, Flavia, than normal. Mm-hmm. That could become a trend. In different countries of the world that are sand now, how long ago was it that they had water on the surface, but then later, because they didn't know how to manage water, it became sand. Those people are migrating, as one of our guest scientists said, people migrate to where the water would be. In time, that will shift the weight of our planet because they're going to keep migrating closer to where the water's at and leaving behind whoever, whatever, 
the where there was no not enough water and the conflicts will cause extreme serious wars that have been going on that people don't hear enough about now in pakistan you mentioned that here they needed water but they had no planning for the floods to come and cause a devastation of people losing their lives but also now the homelessness and if you're homeless you don't have enough water to drink every day and how many millions of people is that right now over there about five million in pakistan yeah and it, the whole the whole reason region of south asia um it's a very it's one of the most vulnerable in the world for climate change issues and at the same time it's one of the regions that cooperation between countries is lagging farther behind it's very difficult to get countries in the region to talk to each other and so the idea of this um, international convention that we are uh, promoting here in Stockholm is to really create the basic, put in place the basic rules that will encourage countries to bring together in the sense that it's already difficult to, to create dialogue in the dark when you don't know what the rules of the game are. So having that in place wouldn't, it's not the only solution, but it's definitely a very important part of the package. So. Just going back to your question, what people can do, I think people should go to their governance and should tell them to be serious about international <coughs> policy issues and, and ratify the treaties that are pending and engage in dialogue with their neighbors. And as they do that, bring the civil society, bring the local communities on the borders that are suffering the most into this conversation, that everyone stands to benefit from closer cooperation between countries, not just the politicians, not just SNGOs, but especially the people on the ground that lose their water, that lose their fisheries, that livelihood source, because countries are not talking to each other. Governments aren't talking to each other. Yeah, they're talking, you know, it's it's political, but it, the people forget all over the world that <clears throat> the politics that are going on are camouflaging, excuse my voice, are camouflaging a bigger issue. And the bigger issue is where you're at today. Educate us about more that you're learning. Sorry, could you please repeat that? Dela, I could, for, for a moment, your voice disappeared. Can you hear me now? Yeah, better. <coughs> Excuse me, I had a little cough here. Um, tell us a little bit more of what you're learning uh, that the audience, you think, would be really receptive to, because we're not getting any newsworthy reports. Uh, throughout the world about the biggest crisis on earth that's taking the most amount of lives is water. Tell us more what you're learning. Um, sorry, it's it's really, for some reason I'm really, I'm kind of losing you now. We'll get you back. Flavia okay, is right. in uh, Stockholm, Sweden today uh, with us and we're, gonna, we're losing her a little bit. She'll get back on issues and uh, concerns. It's called World Water Week. It's been going on for 20 years. Uh, let's see if she's back again. Are you back with us, Flavia? Yes, I am. It's just that you was getting Yeah, uh, tell us about what more you're learning because the audience, you know, have you noticed that the news media doesn't cover what's happening to uh, to these 5,000 children dying a day because of lack of water. So yeah, let's take advantage of this show. Tell us more that you're learning. Sure. Um, one of um, one very interesting session that happened just the other day was focused on, on Latin America and how the different countries of the region are starting this dialogue to have a regional strategy. So for the whole of Latin America, that addresses the linkages between water and climate change and to come up with a coordinated, harmonized agenda to deal with the problem. And even though the <coughs> document wouldn't be binding, but it would have a policy guidance, it would guide how countries develop policy and how they coordinate with each other. So that, <coughs> that could be very encouraging news for how Latin America is dealing with the linkages between climate change and water, including in a transboundary context. Um, the other aspect that was also discussed is uh, new methodologies and new tools to assess um, the water that needs to remain in the river, what we refer to as environmental flows. Uh, and so what are the methodologies and with the new, the new science that is coming to, to help countries identify 
the amount and the quantity and the quality of the water that needs to be preserved so that you can sustain fisheries that so many communities depend upon, um, riparian vegetation and so on. So seeing how science is, is evolving and policy then is starting to pick up the same pace on that very important issue in the context of environmental sustainability, that, that's been quite, quite rewarding. I, it is. In fact, um, now on the uh, issues of the, um, I noticed that the woman, Dr. Rita Caldwell, got the prize. Uh, there's two prizes awarded, awarded each year at World Water Week in Stockholm, Sweden, by the royal family. And I noticed that Dr. Rita Caldwell from the United States won first prize this year. Could you tell us a little bit about her, or do you know? Um, I haven't followed up much of the, I, I should apologize for that, but I really haven't followed much of, of her work, unfortunately. Okay, uh, she is a professor uh, at University of Maryland and John Ho and <clears throat> John Hopkins University's Bloomberg School. And uh, her uh, research had been in public health uh, for quite a long time, but she got the prize this year because of her concerns and pioneering research on the prevention of waterborne infections and diseases um, that affects millions and millions of lives. And you know, Flavia, that is a fact. I'm glad, you know, when I read this, <clears throat> I was concerned 30 years ago this had been overlooked. You could be home and not know the bacteria in your own system and your own pipes. You could be in Africa and obviously carrying that jug every day or that uh, uh, whatever you want to call that uh, method of carrying their water. Can you imagine the bacteria in that water um, yeah. and no and sanitation? I understand your question and, and your concern. And just um, that's less of what my, I'm not a I'm not a scientist. I'm more of a I'm a lawyer and working more on policy. So. I would feel uncomfortable getting into the very technical issues because that's just not my background. Okay, uh, but anyway, but I, she I, won, I agree with uh, you, and I, I share did, your your She did get first and, prize, and uh, so I think uh, uh, the excitement of that in that future is a world a world concern uh, because of the bacteria. And as you know, E. coli has not been studied enough, and they're now determining that water needs to be studied more about that. Okay, back to the, let's talk about the wildlife, and that would be something uh, important. If humans are being affected, the planet Earth is affected, humans are affected. Tell us something about wildlife. Um, yeah, and wildlife is what, what really started WWF. We started as a, as a conservation organization many years ago, focusing on, on wildlife mainly, and we evolved to become a conservation with a much broader scope because experience showed that if you want to protect the wildlife you have to you need to have a much broader understanding of the larger ecosystem you have to deal with um, macroeconomic issues you have to work on policy at all possible levels and so our work on species for freshwater in particular we focus on River dolphins in the Amazon and on the Indus um, and other places, uh, and then other flagship, flagship species that we call. But in a way, by protecting those species, you're also they're also indicators for how the ecosystem is functioning. Um, but in terms of practical conservation, freshwater conservation, we we tend to look at entire river system instead of single species. Now, in the wildlife, uh, have you noticed with studying that wildlife are giving you a lot of uh, research, the answers that are happening, because you can study them a lot easier in their habitat and, and what is happening to the endangered side of uh, the species out there are uh, much easier than human life? What, what, what is happening uh, to their life uh, with the environment and climate yeah, change? Yeah, that's an issue of major major concern to us, and it's a, an incredible loss to um, to humankind if those species go extinct without us even understanding their role in the larger ecosystem. It's like the uh, we've had on our show from Kenya in Kenya, 
the head of uh, one of the conservatory of wild, the largest one in the world, uh, discussing uh, the Mara River and what is happening to the water available to those species that come there. Um, and it was they're seriously endangered because of drought. And there was no proactive planning. Have you done any study about that at all? No, because as I said to you before, um, my my area at WWF is focused on international water law, so more uh-huh. especially at the global level. So I have a number of colleagues mm-hmm. working with specific places, and my role okay. is to to provide them the legal support they need to have this transboundary discussions with neighboring countries, which can be the source of the problem in many cases affecting species on the ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, just an exa- example of, of transboundary issues that hit, hit really hit the ground and hit communities. In the Colorado River, in the border of Mexico and the U.S., um, the damages to the delta are so large, wetlands have been reduced dramatically because both countries have been pumping out so much water from the river system that it barely reaches the sea, and you have saltwater intrusion into the delta, which has damaged fisheries and has affected the populations that depend on. And that's where my work comes in. What is it that Mexico and the U.S., even though they do have an agreement, where is it that they are failing to provide for the water that should have remained in the river to safeguard the delta? What are the rules that are missing uh, what are the incentives from a financial, economic, um, environmental perspective that you could, you could use to bring these countries to address those issues in a cooperative manner? And, and that's where I come in, rather than uh, more scientific, technical work on the ground. Okay, okay, thank you. Uh, that was very interesting, what you were telling us, because the Colorado River, we've had the head of the Colorado watershed, Arizona watershed, Utah watershed, Nevada watershed and um, and uh, New Mexico watershed on this show, and uh, you're right. In the United States, as proactive as we try to be, we find ourselves we've got a lot to learn, and uh, that's why this show is so important: is bring the news to the world and the education, and be as objective as we humanly can. Because <clears throat> I found Flavia that the word environment has become so confusing to people. Have you found that to be true with your background? Yes, and I think um, one one interesting a- one interesting aspect of that is that people, and not just people, um, but in- mainly governments, because to me, um, my main um, the main stakeholders I deal with in my day to day activities are not necessarily the people on the ground or the broader community, but our governments. So when I think about issues that aren't really sufficiently addressed, what the immediate concern that comes to me is with governments. And one thing that governments really don't understand, and probably even less so some, some, of, the, some of the general public, is the role that fresh water plays to sustain livelihoods. So if you have healthy ecosystems, you have fisheries, you have um, agriculture around on riparian areas that needs the the, the, the rivers to be flowing naturally. You have the, the aquifers that provide fresh water for a number of populations around the world. And so without this freshwater ecosystems or wetlands that purify and natural purifies of water, so without healthy freshwater ecosystems, poverty issues become so much, so much harder to address. And on the other hand, if you safeguard these ecosystems, you are going a long way in addressing poverty reduction, which is the main goal of international development cooperation. And, and governments fail to see that in pursuing poverty reduction strategies, if they, if they follow plans that go against the environment, they are probably making their long-term goal of, of achieving poverty reduction much so much harder to, to actually get there because you're you're gaining in the short term, but in the long term, you're creating a much bigger problem for the pop- especially the populations that the local communities that directly depend on these resources, which is the case for for many many countries, for many many developing countries, and especially in rural areas. So, so that that message, the role that ecosystems play, 
for poverty reduction, um, for improving economics, economic terms, and the, the services that we call that ecosystems provide. Getting policymakers to understand that is a big part of what we do, of what WWF does. Isn't it interesting when you mentioned um, that uh, that uh, they're they're always trying and and I correct me if I'm wrong, but they're always trying to do a quick fix rather than a long term planning. They're exactly. going more emotional on the political issues, the political popularity at the moment than long term planning and what's best for the planet, uh, Earth. You know, I've often said, Lavia. We live with Earth. We uh, the, we are part of Earth, but we live with the Earth, and we have to learn to live with it. If it's going to have a climate change, we need to learn to live with it. Uh, if we know uh, for a fact, it is on all truthfulness that water is life on Earth, and it will not exist if without the proper with healthy water. Our priorities need to be what's best for the earth and the water for earth to be here forever. I, you won't believe this. I had a scientist on here who said, Sharon, I don't know if there will be an eternity. <clears throat> because people are not planning. And, and you know, uh, that's where our government, uh, our governments have to learn that they're being hired by the people. And the people out there in the wings need to know. Uh, that uh, throughout the world, listening to you talk and with your your tone, your tone has a great sincerity, a passion, a commitment to what you're doing. Um, now let's go over to uh, countries of the world. We're going to take a break here in a moment. And when we do, we don't have too much time left. And I want you to try to get as much time in to tell the world uh, this, the seriousness of what is going on with World Water Week it's a World Water Week is uh, 20 years old, dedicated to, with people like yourself coming from so far to go to Sweden. And I guess uh, we were told uh, by John that uh, the Sweden, the Scandinavian companies for years, countries for years, have been very serious about the water. And we know Holland has been. Um, because we had on World Water Day, uh, we had uh, a Dutch uh, scientist on. Uh, that told us about the hundreds and hundreds of years in Holland. They have to take the water serious. But when we come back after our break, be thinking about what you want the world to take away today that is so important that they need to decide where to go on to the Internet and be educated. Learn more about what is the environment. Uh, a lot of times people don't always understand the word ecosystem either. They're confused. Uh, that's why I asked you, did you uh, do you believe that people all over the world are confused about some of these descriptions? Uh, the environment, eco, what is friendly, what is valuable, what is life? And yet we have an economy that needs to prosper for people to put bread and pay their, on the table and pay their bills. But we're going to be back in a moment. We're going to take a break with our sponsor and uh, be thinking about what you want to end the show with today that you believe could save lives all over the world. Could you give us a moment? We'll be right back. Of course. Thank you. Okay, we'll be right back. The Thank earth you. was dry. And then life began with a droplet of water. The rains came, creating underground aquifers and fresh water on the earth. Moisture for life filled the air. Then, humans multiplied beyond the plan of nature. Today, only 1% of the world's water is fresh, and most of that is polluted. Without moisture in the air, the air, indoors and out, becomes dry. Insulated windows and walls, forced air heating and cooling, dry the air. If the air is dry, eyes and skin are dry. Doctors worldwide report alarming increases in the symptoms of dry, irritated eyes. Researchers at Biologic Aqua Technologies have discovered that dry, polluted air accelerates moisture loss from the eye's protective tear film. Nature's Tears Eye Mist with Biologic Aqua all-natural tissue culture grade of water utilizes an entirely different approach to correcting tear film moisture loss. By misting the tear film surface with sub-microliter droplets of Biologic Aqua, natural moisture is restored to the tear film. Doctors and pharmacists recommend Nature's Tears Eye Mist 
for computer eye irritation, contact lenses, airline travel, and all other dry eye complaints. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua, absolute premium standard grade of pure all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. Safe, convenient, non-allergenic. Available at retail stores nationwide, naturestears.com or 1-800-4-MIST. Welcome back. This is Chat About It, and you're listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water, the only radio show devoted exclusively to education and news about the critical role of water in health, the environment, and global politics. Fabia, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Uh, you know, I was looking, uh, we were talking about, uh, we're really covering a lot, and you're doing a very special job for us today here. Thank you so much. I, um, tell us about uh, the World Wildlife Fund, and how big is that uh, organization? Um, it's an, actually a network of offices around the world. We have our headquarters in Switzerland, and then we have offices and staff and supporters in all over the world, really. And it's a very multidisciplinary organization. By that, I mean we work on environmental issues from different angles, from the impact of economic activities, from what local communities are in need of, uh, from the, big, the big picture of how countries are working together, all the way to looking at specific economic, economic activities like hydropower um, and mining, pollution and so on so it's a very very broad broad looking organization so we so the uh, the organization the corporate headquarters is located in whereabouts in switzerland yeah it's um it's more like a secretariat because each office has um has its autonomy to look at the needs of each country each region to define okay. on on priorities so our secretariat is in, in is in switzerland and then we have offices in the developed and developing worlds. Okay, and before we move to the subject matter of life on Earth, we no I noticed that your logo is the panda. The panda bear. Yes, the panda has been our logo from the very beginning, and it's very interesting how sometimes people recognize the panda better than they recognize the acronym, WWF. <laughs> It, it's a darling. It's special. I'm, I was very intrigued by it, and, and I love the panda bear. Anyway, let's tell our audience about what life and death is about here uh, on our planet that is so exciting to learn about what we can do to save a life. Uh, tell us more about what you're learning being there uh, that you would like to share with the world out here about uh, it seems like fresh water is uh, your area. Tell us about the wetlands, and what are you learning more about uh, the endangered wetlands? Um, sure, and wetlands are part of the larger of the larger river system, and it's a big part of what we do. And wetlands provide what we refer to as environmental services. So, are those characteristics within an environmental system that are important for human beings? So, um, holding Wetlands are important to control floods. So if you have healthy wetlands within a larger river system, it, that helps in adapting to climate change because it's a mechanism, it's a natural, cheap mechanism for flood control and so many Let's other say, issues. Let, let, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but explain that to uh, our audience, how a wetland can be one of the nature's methods of flood control. Explain what that means. Um, the way the, that wetlands regulate the water flows in the larger river system, so they retain the water and release the water in a natural way, so it helps um, if you have the, the natural floods that occur annually within river systems, if you have the wetlands, they help the water to, to be retained and to be released according to what the system can, um, can hold. So that, and then the same thing with floodplains. That floodplains, the water 
um, only lets the water go to a certain level that's retained. That's one of the reasons never building in on riparian areas along rivers because you need those floodplains to help the water flow back into the into the water system, into the aquifers, back into the river. Um, did you, uh, by chance, what comes to my mind when we were talking, is the when happened when the British Petroleum had its <clears throat> accident oil spill uh, that happened and um, the wetlands that were affected in those states uh, by the problem. Did you ever hear uh, anything about that? Um, could you could you repeat, please? I couldn't. Yeah, the hear British Petroleum well. oil spill in the Gulf here in the United States. The wetlands that were affected by that oil spill, uh, spill oh, in those states. Yes, of course, of course. WWF is very much engaged in this. Yes, of course. Yeah, and uh, they they did discuss uh, the future of being more proactive. Yes, and I think that also relates back to what I do: is how is it that the government could be so irresponsible in in licensing some of these activities? And, and so getting the legislation right, getting the, um, the environmental agencies or the, the government agencies that are giving them the authorization for these projects to proceed, dealing, tackling corruption, making sure that the laws are there for them to enforce, that the requirements are not receiving exceptions because, just because of the activities considered important for the economy, that they shouldn't have lower standards, they should all be subject to environmental review. Um, and that's where, I think that's where environmental lawyers come in, making sure that the standards, the procedures, the, the, the rules and principles are there for governments and companies and um, the larger public to comply with. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very clear-cut case of, of legislative and policy work and Implement enforcement work that really fa- failed. Mm-hmm. Around the world, uh, there at the World Water Week, uh, you said they're discussing that. What is their thinking in the future, just having more people on the ground with regulatory assistance and at uh, 24 hours a day uh, uh, to assist? Is there, uh, uh, are there other things that they're thinking about that m- must be met to try to prevent this from happening. Uh, accidents are human. Life is human. Life is nature. I, I go that way. But uh, re- the regulatory, everybody is a team. And, on, and, and you're a member of the team. Uh, we're, uh, we're all a member of that team. And the proactiveness of the team players is so important that each player does the position on the team that they're important to fill. Uh, more regulatories, uh, individuals being on the ground uh, with that sp- with that project. What I don't care what the project is. Uh, I had I heard where Sarah Palin, Palin was interviewed, and they said, Governor Palin, what would you have done in in Alaska because uh, of the what what because she knows so much because she's been involved for so many years, and she mentioned the fact that regulations regulatories have got to be there 24 hours a day, not just be there once in a while. Uh, what is your thinking about all that? Um, sorry again, but I, I guess it got cut. Well, the regulations uh, are there. Regulations you said the law that, is there. The, the regulatory, and indiv- the individuals enforcing the regulatory, being a member of the team, but they're the regulatory part of the team, that they should be there all the time. They shouldn't just be there to go check. Yeah, the question of enforcement is a big one, and especially, well, I'm from Brazil, so I can tell you that, for example, in the Amazon, Brazil actually have quite strong environmental legislation um, that has come for many years ago and and has a structure for enforcement, has the, the, the laws in place to create the enforcement structure. But in terms of how it really operates on the ground, sometimes you really don't have sufficient people or you have the people but the salaries are so bad that you open space for corruption or you have the people and they are um, they're willing but they don't have the equipment the vehicles and the basic things computers and so on or they just simply don't have the capacity you don't have enough people with capacity on the ground to work on this issue so one approach that WBF has in many countries is to 
as you as you propose to create an, a protected area, so an area that is devoted to environmental conservation, that you work with the people the people that were already living there, you train them, you they for them it's almost instinctive why it's important because they depend on these resources. They've depended on them for many, many years. So they understand the importance, but you, you give them chances to live upon the idea of conserving those resources in the long term and, and working together and understanding why this is important. And then some, in those cases, enforcement actually tends to be much more effective when you're not bringing external people to enforce the laws, but you're rather working with the communities that are already living there. Um, to make sure those laws get respected. So that's one of And let them participate in a, a member. You know, uh, I'm a believer, um, and uh, I truly believe anything can be accomplished if everybody believes they're a, on, a member of the team. And everybody has a different play, play has a different play and importance on the team. Uh, no ego trips. Um, when there's life and death at stake, and life is living, and life is water, and it causes so much disease, it causes destruction of, of what is such common sense, it's so sad, uh, that people, you've just said, we, that it's better to go into the communities of everywhere in the world and bring the community together to be the proactive enforcement. Um, is that what you just said? Yeah, exactly. When you give, I think when you be, give the communities and the general public a, a more proactive, well-informed role to play, I think things become much more, much more effective. And it's interesting that the way you talk about water, it's so it seems so intuitive to you, so obvious, so clear, and it's so clear sometimes that it's taken for granted. Unfortunately, so I think. A lot of the work we need to do together through the media, through the other conservation NGOs, and working with governments that are already more far ahead in terms of understanding these issues is starting from the r real basic. Starting from people understand they need water to drink, but they don't understand the role of, of having a healthy an environment that is functioning properly, how that can affect goals of economic development and and social development and cultural values and so on. Um, so a lot of it is education and really basic education of how water is important, but also water in terms of environment, the freshwater environmental systems that we have to, that we depend on and that so often we, we take for granted. So spreading that message and then at the level of what I do, spreading the message that when countries work together, they can achieve so many benefits. They can go so far in terms of avoiding future problems, but also getting positive, positive results that they wouldn't attain otherwise. And if they don't do that, then the, the results can be dramatic, as we can see from the Colorado River and, and other examples around the world. So from my perspective, from what I contribute as a member of the team, um, I'd really like to see countries realizing the importance of dialogue with neighbors to avoid conflict, to preserve the populations living on border areas, to safeguard the larger environment, and to look at these issues in an integrated context. Freshwater is a, is a, is a, is a large system. It's not sub separated by political borders. It has natural borders that states and, and provinces and countries have to take into account. And so, to me, that's the most important message. Go to your governments, go to your politicians, and, and make sure they are talking to their neighbors and bringing the communities across the borders to talk to each other as well. If you could have a choice of a, I know this is kind of a, uh, put you on the spot a little bit because you're doing so fabulously today. You can be congratulated, by the way. Uh, you're fabulous at this uh, education. Um, if you could pick a slogan and just a few words, and you could tell the world this should be the slogan. Do you have anything off the top of your head what you think the slogan should be with what you're learning? Um, Do you know yes. what well, I mean by slogan? Like a motto, well, like a something yeah, to say. I think our own to, uh, our own WWF motto pardon? for fresh water is that water for people and nature. 
fresh water, water people, for nature, and nature. protecting people. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you heard me at the beginning of the show, I think, uh, how 5,000 children are dying a day. And the concern and the alarm, we know people care. We know all over the world, the countries, the, the society cares. But 5,000 children are still dying a day. Uh, what is your thinking on that before we go? I think we need to accelerate action. I think it's very interesting to be here. Oh, I love the word accelerate. <laughs> Sorry? I like your word accelerate. At what? I like your word accelerate. Let's speed the action up. Yeah, I think that's it. That's exactly it. There's um, there's a lot of goodwill, a lot of um, tools that are already out there to be implemented, and now we really need to take things to the other level and accelerate speed up the efforts that are already happening, especially governments. Governments come to these meetings, they have a lot of good things to say about what they're doing, but we need, we're running, unfortunately, out of time, and we need to to really hurry up, and and that goes for everyone, not just governments. We need to, to focus much more attention on, on freshwater issues. Well, I want to thank you for being with us today, and I think it's a good time that you could say probably... Uh, in Stockholm, Sweden, thank God. Uh, isn't it wonderful that they're hosting this 20 years later and you have that wonderful privilege to be able to be there? Flava, tell everyone we said hello. Uh, thank you for giving us uh, all of this exciting information. And I really like your word. Let's speed this up. Let's learn more. Yeah, no, you have a nice day. You have a nice day. Yeah, thank you. Just wanted to thank you for the opportunity of enabling WBF to spread the word and let us share our message with a with a broader broader audience. Uh, we I appreciate the opportunity very very much. You be well and have a safe trip. You too. Thank you. Bye. Have a nice Bye. day. Well, what we can learn here is. Uh, Stockholm, Sweden, the royal family in Sweden, many, many years ago, 20 years ago, started World Water Day, and they didn't back off. They still are doing it. People from all over the world are coming. I think it was an estimated 4,000 people possibly there this week between September 5th and 11th to participate in the world concern. Uh, life is in the water, and without water, you have no life. And remember, I'm saying, let's save a child's life. Let's save a life. Listen to this show. Let's take it serious. I'm taking it serious. I want you to know that Earth has that secret. Embrace your life every special moment. But Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Be immortal. Leave something behind. Uh, you are important. And that footprint, I believe the footprint means you have left something immortal in your print. I want to thank you for listening. Have a nice day and be well. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Power of Water. Join us next week at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for more in depth interviews and news about the worldwide water crisis.